Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Gabby Reese, and welcome to the show. It started as a as a selfish drive, and then as I dug in more and tried to find the answers, and there weren't any, I decided that I had to be one of the people that was able to find the answers and share those answers. When we look specifically at coaching protocols, we look at research design, it all comes from the male lens. But if we take it from a female lens and say, it's normal to have a menstrual cycle, or it's normal for a woman to be on an oral contraceptive pill, and we have to include that in the conversations that we're having and include that in the research that we're doing, it's normal. And then people kind of open and go, wait a second, but it's so much easier over here. And so that's the pushback because it, it seems to be to other people that it's more difficult, that I'm creating difficulty instead of just creating a new norm or pushing for a new norm. We're different. And in order to understand what is going on for over half the population, we have to look at how hormone influences these systems of the body or do not influence systems of the body. There are lots of little things that you can do, but having that basic awareness of where you are and how your hormones can affect you gives you a huge arsenal of how to show up for the day. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Stacy Sims. She has a new book out called Next Level. And she had a wonderful TED Talk years ago called Women Are Not Small Men. And Stacy is exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist. She does a lot of work that is focused on performance for women. And her focus is to revolutionize exercise nutrition for women. And she's even directed programs at Stanford. Yes, it is a conversation around women, women in performance, what's happening during which part of their cycle during the month. However, it's so science-based and so practical that I would encourage you, if you have a woman in your life, so a female partner, a mother, a sister, a daughter, if you are a coach, any of this is so helpful because she breaks it down in a no-nonsensical, matter-of-fact way, just giving us the data like, hey, during our low hormones parts of our cycle, this is what's happening. During our high, this is what's happening. When should we be working on skills versus getting after it and going for power? And just even noticing like there are things we can take, natural things that would help us seven to 10 days before we actually got into our cycle that would make that process easier. And she's the perfect person to have these conversations because in a way, if you think about it, women in performance or in sports, they are underserved just because the studies are done on men and it's easier, it makes sense. And 
what she does is it's just about the information. So there's not a lot of extra fluff. And even though it is woman talk, Dr. Sims does a perfect job of considering the information and the right amount of passion and support. It makes it clear, easy to understand, and just really helpful. So I'm excited to have her. Her and I crossed paths a few years ago. We were trying to do it, COVID hit. She lives in New Zealand. There was just a lot going on. And so I'm really, really happy that she is on the show. Her book is Next Level, and I hope you enjoy. Dr. Sims, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Are you in New Zealand? Are you in New Zealand right now? Uh, we escaped for a few months. I'm now just outside of DC, my mom's house, because the borders were shut so tight that we couldn't get out and um, missed my family. So we escaped and we're here till the end of July. Is your mom spoiling you and making you food and stuff? Do you get baby by your mom? Um, no, it's more my daughter is getting baby by my mom, which is good. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She just turned 10. Oh, good. Okay, great. So um, we'll get started. And then um, I just really appreciate your work a lot. And um, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know. Uh, what did we try to get together like two years ago for you to come on the show? I think I don't know so. what it was. And then COVID hit. And then everything went wacky. Yeah. The pre-COVID years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So congratulations on your on your latest book, oh, Next thanks. Level. I know how much work that is. I, I'm, I always appreciate when people can complete a book. This is obviously not your first book. So maybe just let's start with your background a little bit and sort of your work and how you arrived upon getting into more specifically performance and performance for females. And, um, and then we can get rolling. Yeah. So, uh, I've always been the kind of kid that asked why, uh, I and now see that in my daughter too. But, um, when I was younger and always asking why and trying to find the answers, when I got to undergrad, I couldn't find answers. I was on the rowing team and we were training just as hard as the men, but there were times where the women's boat wouldn't peak at the right moment like the men's did. And then I had transferred into exercise physiology and we're reading all these texts and I couldn't identify with what was going on because it didn't make sense. The fact that they kept using the reference man and all the language in it was about, he did this, he did that, we know this from a male. So when I started asking questions about women and they're like, we don't know enough about men, why do you want to study women? Or we don't really study women because of the menstrual cycle, but that's okay because women are just like men. So we just generalize. But as I started getting more and more involved as an elite athlete and racing at top levels and seeing how the recovery aspects that we were told to do weren't quite working, um, or some of the training protocols were making women get into more of an overtrained state. And accumulation of it was when I was racing Kona when I first started my PhD. And there were a group of us that went over to race. And some of us were in the high hormone phase of our menstrual cycle and ended up in the IV tent with, you know, the need for sodium and fluid. And then those in the, in the low hormone didn't have an issue. So there were all these things that kept coming up as an athlete and then having the availability as an academic to go ask those questions and try to find the answers. 
And then as I kind of didn't really age out, but decided to get out of competition, I still am working with high level Olympians and high level coaches that are wanting to find that extra performance for their athletes. So I guess the, the accumulation of it, it started as a, as a selfish drive. And then as I dug in more and tried to find the answers and there weren't any, I decided that I had to be one of the people that was able to find the answers and share those answers. I think you're the perfect person because, you know, a lot of times what I feel like is if we're having these opportunities to dive more specifically in support of, let's say in this case, in of women, you don't have a precious approach. You're not like, you know, you, you're, it's very matter of fact, it's very scientific and it's like, Hey, it's just different. And I, I really appreciate it. Instead of, I, I have found a lot of times that there gets to be this framework built around really saying, Oh, and making it so monumental that we're different instead of just saying, okay, listen, here's the deal. XX, Y, Y here, we're, we're different. And let's just dive into the science because I also feel that we could pass that on to younger women you talk a lot about teenagers dropping out of sports because they're uncomfortable to talk about their cycles. And, you know, you, 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 you talk about sort of bringing this very clinical approach. And I, I feel that way. I feel like when women want to do something that's perceived a little bit on the wider parts of the lane. So if it's like be more high performance, be a CEO, whatever it is, it's like, Hey, what are the tools that you need? Not, Oh, you know, it's going to be hard. And, you know, it's really difficult. And so I just I really want to start the conversation by saying that, because I think one of the things that gets attention that I think is a disservice to the actual people you're trying to get the information to is, you know, all of this other stuff instead of like, hey, let's let's dive into this. And uh, what can we do to support you on this quest, whatever it is? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I mean, I still get pushback. I've heard so many things throughout my career. I have a specific file for emails that are, you know, the pushback or the, what we call the not so intelligent emails because people push back against it. I'm like, these are, this is science, science evolves. So it might change, but we know physiology, this is what it is. And these are the things that we can do. And yeah, people often ask, do I have an agenda? But I don't. I just want information out for people to be empowered. When you say pushback and you say, like, do you have an agenda? Who's that? Like, what type of people are asking that? And what do you, what do you mean? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, so I guess throughout a lot of the, because I've been in, in med schools, I've been in sports science and that kind of stuff. So it's been a male dominated environment to begin with. And uh, I mean, I've had, why do you want to study women? Like, it's too difficult. You're going to be here forever to do your PhD. My PhD students get that as well from clinicians even now. Like, you're just trying to get through some research. Why don't you just do men? And it's like, well, wait a second, because we're different. And in order to understand what is going on for over half the population, we have to look at how hormone influences these systems of the body or do not influence systems of the body. Um and then like pushback from coaches who find it's too too much in the too hard basket to ask about the menstrual cycle and train according to the menstrual cycle and understand it. So there's all these, I guess it's more from the male ends. I'm not saying, you know, like everything has come from the patriarchy, but when we look specifically at coaching protocols, we look at research design, it all comes from the male lens. 
But if we take it from a female lens and say it's normal to have a menstrual cycle or it's normal for a woman to be on an oral contraceptive pill, and we have to include that in the conversations that we're having and include that in the research that we're doing, it's normal. And then people kind of open and go, wait a second, but it's so much easier over here. And so that's the pushback because it, it seems to be to other people that it's more difficult, that I'm creating difficulty instead of just creating a new norm or pushing for a new norm. Yeah, I would think that they would be grateful because it is the system is so complex. And, and so my hope is, is that maybe we can just start there, which is breaking down the cycle and the different sort of hormone, low, you know, low, low hormone levels at times of the month and things like that. And just give a brief overview of that. So when we talk to this more specifically, people will have a sense of it. Cause it's amazing how much you could have your, your period for 30 years and really know very little about it and exactly. what's happening with more estrogen and less, you know, progesterone and things like that. Yeah. So if we look at it as a, you know, a typical textbook 28 day cycle, and we know that that's not normal um, for most women, anywhere from 21 to 40 days is normal. Day one is the first day of bleeding. Around day 14 is ovulation. So in that time period between day one, first day of bleeding and ovulation, we call that the follicular phase or the low hormone phase. And this is where estrogen and progesterone are really low, baseline low. And right before ovulation, we have a surge of estrogen, which helps with ovulation. After ovulation, estrogen kind of drops off and then starts to come up again. And progesterone is produced from the um, kind of sac the egg was in, the corpus luteum. So progesterone starts to come up. When that um, sac is completely degraded, we don't have any more progesterone. So progesterone starts to drop off. Estrogen starts to drop off. And then we have day one again, a bleeding. So we have this period of, of low hormone follicular phase, ovulation with high estrogen, and then the luteal phase, which is where estrogen and progesterone start to come up. And when we're talking about the menstrual cycle, it in the different lengths, it's the follicular phase that changes because the body's trying to prepare for uh, a really robust, fertile egg to 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 come out so that we can have pregnancy. So when we're talking about the variation within a menstrual cycle, it's very normal for women to go from a 20 day, 22 day, 20 day, 22 day, or all the way up to 40 days. And maybe we can, we can talk about this in reference to what you found for performance. And I'm, and, and let's just assume that these right now are women that are still having a regular cycle. Let's not say we're talking about menopause yet or premenopausal or perimenopausal, but let's just say we're taking this group. They're in, they're in performance. Would it be okay to assume, and I know it's a little different uh, with certain things like fasting and what have you, to just say we have also women listening who um, have a sort of a more normal level of activity. They're not necessarily the, the tip of the spear, high performance, looking for these incremental things of growth and increase in, in strength and such like. Can we assume that a lot of these rules apply across the board? Yeah. So, I mean, the way I look at it from the, from the most part is how resilient is the body to stress? And when the hormones are low, we also have a greater 
uh, ability to withstand stress from an immune standpoint, as well as a psychological standpoint and a physiological standpoint, because these hormones affect every system of the body. So when we're looking at that low hormone phase, this is where we want to take on stress because our body can overcome it. It can adapt well to it. And this is where we can put in our high intensity work, be it an elite athlete or someone who's just looking for better health gains. Around ovulation, because estrogen is anabolic in itself, then we have another really good window of opportunity to like push it hard. Be it, um, you know, you're trying to do uh, walk up a hill or set a PR or you're in the gym lifting, whatever it is, you have that other opportunity. After ovulation, we want to start tapering down because our entire system changes. Our immune system changes to become more pro-inflammatory. Um, the reason for that is we don't want uh, kind of the innate immune system to come and attack a potentially implanted egg. So the body's like, wait a second, we need to change our immune system to be more fever-like. And so there's a lot of cytokines. So our body becomes less resilient to stress when we have this increased systemic inflammation. And then as we start looking at how our metabolism changes, we have a greater reliance on fatty acids because progesterone pulls blood sugar, pulls glucose away from the liver and the muscle to put it into the endometrial lining. It also breaks down more muscle tissue to free up amino acids to build endometrial lining. So we have to be very cognizant of the kind of training and nutrition that we're doing. So if we start looking at really resilient, sort of resilient, and then we're not so resilient to stress about the five days before the period starts, we can plan our training and our lives kind of within sync of our menstrual cycle. Um, there are nuances, of course, because every woman is individual. So I really tell women that you want to track your own cycle, preferably over the course of, of three full cycles, because you'll start to see patterns. A lot of women don't realize that, okay, well, maybe right around ovulation, you have a really flat day and then you feel bulletproof. Instead of having that negativity and that second guessing that you did something wrong and that's why you feel flat, you realize that it's just the way your body responds to a surge of estrogen and a drop-off. So then you can be like, oh, I know what that is. It's the day before ovulation. So you start to see these patternings that give you more objective data. Then you can still tailor these things into your own personal performance lifestyle. Can you, when, when you talk about, you know, this time where we are more vulnerable, especially for younger athletes, you, you sort of will encourage people like this might be a good time to work on skills and not be killing yourself. So let's say I'm either the athlete or I'm the coach. Um, and maybe you've got 12 girls. And a lot of times I've been on teams, it's totally nuts. And everybody ends up by, you know, after a few months, you sort of start to really tighten in and, and your cycles get pretty close to one another. But let's say you've got sort of moving parts and you have different athletes at different parts of their cycle. One, if I'm the athlete, how do I, how do I ask for permission, if you will, to go, hey, could I do some more skill-oriented type things? And then as a, as a coach, I think this is a, you know, again, making it almost like, Hey, no big deal. We've got some stuff in place for these kinds of, you know, for this type of uh, scenario, but I'm just curious because even if we know it, it would be hard to say, uh, you know, I don't know that I can go all out for the next three days. Yeah. And, and we look at that from a team perspective for sure. 
when we are looking at that team environment, the biggest way we can make impact is in the weight, weight room where you can't have everybody doing the same thing all at once. So we often see teams that are divided up into different circuits. So we can divide it up according to lower or high hormone phase. When we're on the field or we're having land-based practices, it's more of the awareness, both as the athlete yourself, but then having a conversation with the coach. And the way that we've been able to scope it so it becomes more of a comfortable language, it's a wellness check. Because we know that that when you show up for practice, there's always a brief wellness check. It's scan. The coach is seeing who's injured, who's not, who might be getting sick. So it becomes one of those just basic wellness checks where, okay, who's on their period, who's getting ready to get their period. And it doesn't have to, you know, say I'm on my period. It could be a, a, a traffic lights um, system where you're like green, good to go. I'm on my period or red. I need to do a little bit more skill-based stuff because I'm a few days before my period trying to take that taboo-ness off. There's also some femtech out there that can help coaches navigate that conversation through app work. But then when we get to that 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 playing field or the land-based work where somebody wants to do some more high-intensity work and then someone needs to pull back a bit, it's knowing who needs to pull back. So the coach isn't really going, hey, what's wrong with you today? You know, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep going, keep going. Or they're not looking at the the times and the sprints and, and the jumps to make a decision on who's playing and who's not. So it's, it becomes more of the awareness rather than disrupting the entire practice. And then it's the skill-based stuff on the outside that a lot of people end up doing or the gym work that we can really tailor more so to the menstrual cycle rather than the group land-based stuff. Stacey, like if you were running, I mean, you do, you're in business and you're a mom and you know, you have a full life. How, what's, what's a simple language for, you know, kind of these other parts? Like for example, let's say uh, we're at a time where we are more fatigued or tired. um, If we're in, in one of these, you know, low hormone cycles or high hormone cycles, depending on what's happening is how do we start to kind of weave that in? Even if it becomes our own personal thing, we don't have to announce it to everybody in the family, like mom's doing this, but just, or, you know, you're at work and you're the boss, but how does it sort of show up that we can make these tweaks where, cause we have to get stuff done. Yeah. You don't, we don't get to, you know, check out same with athletes. There's going to be times where you're like, I feel off and I get, I have a sense of it. I'm not going to overreact to it. I, I, I have to play, I have to compete, but maybe I'm in a place, but at least it gives you like, okay, I'm, I'm, it's okay. You know, I don't suck all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so what, you know, for a, a crazy working parent or a, you know, a boss who's running a business, what is that? How does that show up? Yeah. So again, it's having the awareness and tracking and knowing where you are and, Like when we look at what is performance versus training, we know that like you can nail anything on any day because the psychological can supersede the physiological, but also having in your arsenal, knowing that, Hey, I should be doing a bit of deload this week, just coming to the day with the awareness that you're not quite so stress resilient. So making 
time to have a little bit more mindfulness if you can, or skipping that high intensity session that you had planned and maybe just doing some, some actual movement instead to keep the body moving. And it, it, it falls in the whole taking care of yourself aspect as well, but having that objective data to know where you are, you can show up on the day and perform at your highest. But if you have the, the idea that, Hey, on day 24 and 25, I'm really flat, then you're making those small tweaks, not to put in that high intensity work or not to like show up for a very intense meeting that you might not be completely prepared for. But if you do have to, there are some nutrition interventions that you can do. You can um, have a little bit more carbohydrate before that meeting or before that high intensity session. You can have essential amino acids in a, a, in a drink so that you have more circulating leucine to help with brain decisions and, and reduce brain fog. So there are lots of little things that you can do, but having that basic awareness of where you are and how your hormones can affect you gives you a huge arsenal of how to show up for the day. Maybe we could slide over and just, and again, everyone is very different in their needs and what they're doing and their, just their cycles. But if we could talk about sort of some of the eating during these cycles, because one of the things that I, I thought was so interesting is um, I'm almost anemic oh, wow. and I have fought being low iron the whole time. And when I heard you talk about how inflammation from training can really be disruptive in the gut's ability to absorb iron, I was, I got really excited because, you know, if you, you try to do the right things, you get the, I've even had IVs and all of, all of these things. But when you said that, I thought, oh, this is, this is more information for me to understand uh, about the impacts of things that are good for exercise is good. But if you've done it for forever, there might be some other byproducts. And it's so I, I thought that that was one of the things that was interesting. And even the fact that we need and maybe even as we, I mean, and as we get older, more protein than we think or that is measured. So, so maybe just, um, again, everyone is different, but sort of in a, in a strokes, broad strokes way, could you sort of say, Hey, during these types of the cycle, more carbohydrates is good. Make sure here's ways to open up your recovery windows and things like that. Cause it, I think yeah. we're we try to do it like them or the trend, right? Like, oh, we're going to fast. Oh, we're going to do all these things. And that may be a complete disservice. Yeah, it is. We know from research that women do better in a fed state, regardless of age, um, just because our morphology is different and our uh, metabolism is different for exercise. But if we look at the hormonal influences in the low hormone state, we have a more similar metabolism to men. So we can look at, uh, you know, moderating our carbohydrate intake, but we have to make sure that whatever activity we do, we have something to eat prior to. It doesn't have to be massive. It could be half a banana. It could be a, a protein oriented coffee or green tea, just something to bring um, blood sugar up and signal to the brain that there is nutrition available to withstand the stress. It's after ovulation when we have that uprise of estrogen progesterone where it becomes very interesting. We know that women can't carboload, but if we increase our total amount of carbohydrates that we're eating in our meals, we have more available carbohydrate 
for cognition, reaction, and physical activity Um, because our body goes through more blood sugar first and then fatty acids, but we don't tap so much into our muscle and liver glycogen, which is why we can't store it very well. Protein is really super important, especially as progesterone comes up, because like I said earlier, progesterone is catabolic. It breaks down everything. So if we're trying to build lean mass or recover from injury, we need to dose our protein. Um, So we're looking at for women who are premenopausal, a good 30 gram hit of high quality leucine based protein within 30 to 45 minutes after exercise and regular doses of protein at every meal. We need to keep those amino acids circulating. As we get into peri and postmenopause, because we become more anabolic resistant, that post-exercise protein is closer to 40 grams. And we have that 30 to 45 minute window, again, post-exercise to take advantage of the mechanical stress and some of the other pathways for muscle protein synthesis where women come back down to baseline within about an hour after activity, but men is three to 18 hours, depending on intensity. Again, because our metabolism is different and how fast we come back down to a resting blood glucose level. So if we break up the phases, we're like, okay, in the low hormone phase, we want to really focus on taking care of the gut, having good um, fruit, veg mix, good amount of protein, making sure that we're fueling for and recovering from our sessions. After ovulation, increasing total amount of carbohydrate intake. Our metabolism goes up because we're building tissue. So this is another reason why women are craving food, especially carbohydrate-oriented food. We need to make sure that we have a regular dosing of protein throughout the day at every meal. And this accounts for those hormone perturbations, helps us maintain um, a a good nitrogen balance for lean mass development, and helps reduce the risk of injury from inflammatory states as well as mechanical, potential mechanical um, injury from a misstep and then having too many tight tissues because you have the availability of amino acids to help prevent those small little tears that can happen from mechanical stress. I heard you uh, talk about that when they tested older women, that it was like, oh, well, she doesn't need it anymore, the protein. And, and you, you were like, yeah, no, they didn't give her enough of what she needed for that, for the, for that to have a reaction. So I, you know, I'm 52 and, um, I, I have a lot of friends that either younger than me or older, or when I was in my forties, that everyone's always like walking you to, well, this is how it's going to be when you get into middle age and that, you know, you, there's no way around it. And the body composition is going to change. And obviously it, things change. I get it. I mean, you have different hormones, but even I, I have seen a lot of female athletes that have paid attention or just women in general that are training hard because there's a, you know, for the last, I'd say 35 years, at least that culture, look at CrossFit. You have a lot of women much later training at a pretty, at a very high level. Is it that they are, is it, I think we, we sort of surrender the decisions we're making to trends and what everyone thinks we should be doing instead of one, listening to our bodies and then doing that, doing this homework. Um, if someone is premenopausal, menopausal, or even perimenopausal, what are like, what are some of the most common mistakes that they're doing? And because they get frustrated, right? Like I'm eating air and I keep gaining weight. Yep. 
Yeah. You, you know, that's what they, you see them experiencing. What, what do you, what are you seeing most, most commonly if their hormones are sort of, you know, okay. I mean, obviously we, I think everyone should get their blood work and check their hormones, but yeah. For sure. I think the biggest thing that women are guilty of is not eating enough. We grew up in the culture of supermodels and the Jane Fonda calorie in, calorie out, fat burning. And that is a pervasive myth that is so ingrained in a lot of women's psyche that they often fall into a low energy availability state. Uh, we know that over 50% of recreational active women, regardless of age, are in a low energy availability state. So this means that they're not eating enough to support their basic you know, resting metabolism when they're sitting on the couch watching Netflix and not moving all day, let alone having nutrition available for daily life stress and exercise stress. I have so many women that are like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm getting squishy. I'm putting weight on. I'm eating less. I'm training more. And then it's like, okay, let's, let's have a pause here. What are you eating? How much are you eating? And most of these women are, are between that 1500 and 1800 calorie a day range, but they're exercising five times a week. It's like, wait a second, that 1500 is just enough to maintain your basic metabolism. It's not enough for as soon as you get up and start doing household chores or taking the kids to school or training or going to work or whatever you're doing. So when we look at what women are not doing appropriately, it's not fueling for what they're doing and they're not eating enough. And if you don't eat enough, then everything starts to downturn. Thyroid takes a hit. Resting metabolism takes a hit. You start putting on belly fat. You can't build lean mass. You start losing lean mass because your body starts um, catabolizing it. So when we start looking at, okay, what are the the language and, and the words we need to use around it? It's fueling for your activity. It's fueling for your stress. We need women to eat more. And the other aspect, regardless of hormone and age, is the resistance training piece. Like women are afraid to, I mean, it's great that CrossFit has made it it really apparent. That's that, too big. Yeah, you, you can't get too big. There are, like, if you look at Annie Torsdotter and some of the, the fantastic elite um, CrossFit athletes, they train more than what the typical CrossFit athlete would do. And it's really, really hard to get bulky, especially as we age, unless you have abundance of food, which brings us back to most women aren't eating enough. So when we look at the resistance training piece, we know that from sex differences at birth and muscle morphology, women do better with power-based training. So we're looking at the lower rep range and the higher weights, not for building bulk, but for having that neuromuscular connection, that, that central nervous system to, to muscle fiber connection to maintain strength and explosive power that we need when we get older to be able to react if we slip on a curb. It's not about, um, you know, coming from volleyball, you know, the power and explosiveness you need for that. But we're looking at the lifelong aspect of what women need to do now in their premenopause, especially in perimenopause, to maintain muscle integrity and muscle function. And then when we look at the cardiovascular aspect, that is more of a nuance of age-related and time-related time-related kind of, of nuances of how much time you have, what's your goal? Are you training for something or not? Are you just looking for body composition change or are you looking for all the benefits that you get with an epigenetic exposure to high intensity? If you, if someone's listening to this, cause I, I, you know, you meet people certainly more than I do, but I meet people all the time that 
they have not been successful on many endeavors of this and they you have a narrative about well this is what i this is my sentence and this is my genetics and all you know all that we do you've seen it enough times where when people can figure out this formula that as far as body composition you can make the shifts and can you make the shifts when you're 60 when you're 50 when you're 40 i mean it ha- you can yeah you can absolutely so when we're looking at those premenopausal years, this is where people can get away with a lot, right? You know, you can try the trendy diets, you can try the exercise trends and rebound a bit. But when we get into our early to mid 40s and we start having that changeover ratios of estrogen progesterone, this is where we really have to have an eye to what kind of training and nutrition are we doing? Because this is where we start having the biggest affect in our body composition. It's not menopause, postmenopause, where we have all the body composition change is the years leading up to it because we're starting to have more anovulatory cycles. So less progesterone that's being produced. So we have longer follicular phase, more estrogen dominance, more systemic inflammation, a greater um, baseline level of cortisol and an incredible amount of sympathetic drive. So we are always in that um, tired, but wired state. And it is because yeah. estrogen, progesterone affect every system of the body. So when we start looking at what kind of training we need to do, we need to look at the external stressors that will challenge the body, allow it to adapt as if those hormones were still supporting those adaptations. So this is where we have the eye to staying out of that moderate intensity zone. I know so many women love Peloton and Orange Theory and F45, but that's not what they should be doing because it puts them squarely in this moderate intensity zone, which ups cortisol and doesn't do anything for body composition change. We need to look at polarizing our training, doing more focus on heavy resistance work, of course, phasing in, doing a lot of mobility and making sure you have really good mechanics before you start putting load on the bar or the dumbbells. And then looking at what is high intensity, like true high intensity. We have that sprint interval training. So it's 20 seconds full gas. You might do five or six of those and call it because you're completely taxed out because that high, high stress causes an epigenetic change in the muscle to improve insulin sensitivity and your body's ability to uptake blood sugar. It changes um, within the actin myosin filaments, which are the key proteins for muscle contraction to keep myosin intact and to encourage lean mass development because estrogen is tightly tied to myosin. And then when we look at, um, you know, maybe not quite so high intense, but more of the hit, the high intensity interval training, which are longer. So the two minute stuff, this is more your metabolic change where you're working above threshold. You're teaching the body to use more of the carbohydrate and, and, and facilitating free fatty acid use as a resting fuel. So this is where we really start to impact that visceral fat telling the body, don't store it, we need to use it. So it's that eye to what kind of training we're doing when we start to get that perimenopausal aspect so that when we hit menopause and postmenopause, we're already attuned to the kind of training that we want to do. But if you are already in that postmenopausal state and you've missed that window pre, it doesn't mean you can't start now and invoke body composition change. It becomes really important that resistance training aspect the plyometric or jump training for bone density. And then we look at that sprint interval training for that metabolic change. But it doesn't 
really matter at what age you pick up these different ideas behind training and implement them, you can invoke body composition change. We're not subjected to that image that so many of the TV programs have of, you know, the slovenly man who's aging next to a 20-year-old because they don't want to put a 40 or 45-year-old woman on the TV. It just plays into those myths. And there's things that we can do to, to break the mold and keep empowering and changing and achieving performance potential as we age. And I think an important caveat to that is you have this practical and scientific approach because obviously that's your background. But I think it's also important that almost we do it with a soft hand and not because what happens is you'll see a lot of women react in this. They almost over it's it gets too intense and yes. they don't miss a workout and they're counting calories and it, this creates a whole other layer of stress and you you talk a lot about you know getting your cortisol down and things like that so i just want to slide that in there as somebody who's been around a lot of performance for a long time that i don't think that's the answer either because not only do i think it drives your stress and your hormone you know negative other levels but i i think um you're missing a whole other series of important things about being a person. Like if then you're, you know, you just get focused on like, uh, you know, my weight and this and that instead of, you know, it's, it's an, it's an entire practice. But another thing that I really appreciate is, and I feel this way, I don't really count calories. Obviously I'm aware, yeah. you know, I sort of know like, Oh, this was a, you blew it on the water today. You blew it on the calories. Wow. You ate a ton today. You know, it's like, I, I'm aware, but I, I know that you're not into to calories. You're into really good food yeah, and, and exactly. the right amount of food. Yeah. And, and you and I, we're going to, we're going to feel, you might need more carbohydrates than me. Maybe I need a little less. I mean, I think, and maybe I need more fat than you, who knows, but I think that I would also encourage people to experiment with whole real food, but then play around with you know, how you metabolize and convert food to energy and what feels good to you. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, can't say it enough. Real food first. I mean, there's so many cofactors within real food that allow it to work appropriately in our body and feed our gut. And when we like coming back to the States from New Zealand and looking at the plethora of choices of food and how many cheap processed calories are available. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's such a, a miscommunication of what it means to be nourished versus what food is, if that makes sense. And I'm always reminded when I come back stateside of how different the food system is and how different real food context is in this country. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, it, and it, I, I feel for people because it's, it's makes it harder to be more successful. Absolutely. Um, especially yeah. what's get, which gets positioned as healthy and, and things like that. So I always, you know, like you say, real food and be mindful of maybe, I, I always say a really simple way to be a little more successful is to make all your own dressings yep. and, you know, keep your oils and things very, very, very simple. Keep it olive oil or avocado oil for your dressings and, um, at least you know you know what goes into them.
can we talk about teenage? I have three daughters and um, I'm always interested in resistance training because we also live, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but here everyone is nuts about sports and performance and they're, they're over training and they're in one sport for the entire year. They're not doing multiple different sports. Is there sort of a, a more appropriate age for a young, I mean, obviously when you're young technique, you were talking about like proper squatting and lunging and things that if we can get this base, but really we don't want to start loading the, their bodies too early with weight. What, what sort of is a zone? And again, different physiology. I'm six, three, I have very long levers versus if I was, you know, some badass first base softball girl who was like, you know, naturally more powerful or whatever. I mean, I know we're different, but I mean, approximate, because I think sometimes now we're starting maybe too early. Yeah. Um, there is a push in New Zealand to specialize as well, but not as bad as here. I think the the big misstep is around puberty, where you know you see you have co-ed teams, and then you start to diverge into female-oriented teams and and boy-oriented teams or male-oriented teams. But the training practices and the ideas for female specificity is still the same as as the boys. But when we look at what happens at puberty, when we have that epigenetic exposure of our sex hormones. Like um, the boys, they'll get leaner, they'll get fitter, they'll get faster. But the girls, the hips widen, the shoulder girdle widens to accommodate for that. We have a change in our center of gravity. We have change in body composition. And of course, you get your period. So there's all of these things that are not really addressed. So around that age, this is where we want to start all those functional modalities and movement to make sure you have really good mechanics often having to to reteach running how to reteach throwing and jumping and landing and landing mechanics because of the new biomechanics that girls have after they've entered puberty when we look at those good mechanics this is when we can start adding load prior to that it is body weight and body weight is really good because we're looking at the changes in the biomechanics for for girls and the functionality around those good mechanics is going to lead super far forward into any kind of sport that they choose to be in. What I find is when people are loading so early and right, you know, 13, 14 years old, hey, let's get in, in the weight room, let's put weight on the bar. And the injuries and the ACL issues and the low back issues that these girls and some of the boys have by the time they're 16 is due to the fact that these mechanics weren't taken care of and retaught how to move and move functionally well before adding load. So there is lots of resistance type work you can do without adding that extra load of, of, you know, weight on the bar or heavy dumbbell work. And it's so critical for coaches to understand that this period of time and between 12 to, to 14 or 15 girls are going to be changing at different rates. So if we keep it functional and within the sporting perspective to use body weight and mobility and that, you know, the good mechanic work, and then as they get more specific in what they want to do with the eye to going to university with that sport in mind, that's when you start really adding the load. And And I think even within that, I think when you have a very tall athlete, the idea of an overhead you know, snap with a squat. I I think very few athletes um, over a certain sort of size do that well and safely. 
Right. You know, so, so I think it's, it's also having coaches who have the understanding not only of how to teach it correctly, but maybe certain moves would be better to do less often, less reps for certain athletes, not at all. I, you know, I, I, I think that's the other thing is it's sort of like they get, we get into these things like this is how we do it. It's like, okay. And in the yep. end, maybe um, we could, we could keep adapting. Do you, you, you mentioned omegas um, and aminos. Do you have sort of, and again, I understand that I'll, this is very specific, but a lot of us like this idea, like, I'll give you an example. I take shot of Ari because I was told by a friend of mine that I, I, I respect very much that it's a pretty supportive herb. And so are there sort of supplements or herbs that you find can work nicely for a lot of people when it comes to their cycle and, you know, just female health? Uh, I know it's really independent. I'm a, a yeah. huge fan of adaptogens and I'm a huge fan of DIM, especially for teenage girls using, um, you know, having issues with inflammation and, and hormone mediated changes to skin and, and uh, muscle and that kind of stuff. Using DIM to kind of taper estrogen metabolism and, and hormone metabolism is great. But then when we start looking at adaptogens, you know, looking at ashwagandha and some of the, and lion's mane for brain function, there's the specificity within that range of medicinal herbs and, and the phytochemicals in there that, that can make a huge impact. But again, it depends on, on who the person is and what their needs are. My belief is, is if we can get as informed as, as possible, stay in touch with how we're really feeling, being able to be willing to say, I feel great and I'm bleeding. Like it's my second day of my period. And I know everyone thinks I'm supposed to be tired. I feel great. Or I know maybe I should feel good. I'm really, I'm tapped out today, I think. And having, having the right information. But one of the things is, is supplementation. So you, you talked about adaptogens. Is there any, you know, sort of, I do a very basic Z, you know, D and zinc and magnesium and, and, you know, omegas, and I do quercetin, um, and a few other things, but is there, is sort of like magnesium and zinc. Does, so do you, important. Do you like that? Yeah, I do. Is it, you know, do you have to wait? Cause I, with my daughters, I actually give my daughters, um, you know, certain things and, you know, I'll give them, a uh, like my, once they're about 15 or 16, especially if they have their cycle, they've all started at different times, but you know, a little magnesium, maybe for sleep or D things like that. Because even if you're in the sun all the time, not all of us, you know, can, can get enough D. Yep. And again, I know it's specific, but if people, if you were going to sort of say to encourage people to investigate kind of some staples that feel important and safe, yeah. what are they? So vitamin D for sure. And that also helps with the inflammation, especially as you're saying, you know, with anemia. So it helps significantly. And then when we look at magnesium and zinc, I try to get people to use it in the high hormone phase because our body goes through so much more zinc and magnesium. And when you add an omega-3 with the magnesium and zinc, it counters a lot of the prostaglandin or the inflammatory responses the body goes through, especially right before the period. So we call it a, a PMS stack where you do one gram of omega-3s, uh, 45 milligrams of zinc and 200 milligrams of magnesium about seven to 10 days before your period starts every night. 
And over the course of three cycles, it lessens the PMS, it lessens the inflammation and lessens the bleeding. And it, it works with the way your body responds to inflammation and the prostaglandins and the COX inhibitors uh, or the, uh, the COX receptors, because they work to inhibit a lot of those things and your body learns. So magnesium and zinc is so important, not only for the inflammation aspect, but like you said, for sleep and, and other regulatory aspects from the immune system. What about, okay, so, it, you know, again, everyone's so quick to be like, oh, I'll take a ibuprofen or I'll take a, I, I do think if we're eating real food and we don't have, you know, sort of things are checking out, I think there's other things to do like this, to experiment with this, because what people don't realize, and we give it to our our kids pretty young is this stuff is, is tough on our microbiome, which then causes a series of other issues. So I know when you're not feeling good, it's, it feels like a temporary, quick, easy, you know, take care of it. But I, I think like your suggestion, if people would give that a chance, what about caffeine? I mean, doesn't caffeine give us a little, um, a lift relief? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> And it, it's more of if you're a caffeine responder or non-responder. So they've done quite a bit of genetic work with it. But um, just that small amount of caffeine can cause changes in, in blood flow. And then that also helps with headaches and some of the achiness. So small amount of caffeine is, is great. I think that's why they put it in Excedrin and some of the other like yeah. Tylenol Plus or whatever it is. But like I look at it is when you're talking about ibuprofen and non-steroidals, I'm allergic to them all. So I've had to do surgeries and stuff and have turned to turmeric because there's some case controlled studies looking at the difference between Celebrex and turmeric and turmeric has much better outcomes with regards to inflammation and pain than Celebrex. So there is some really good complementary alternative medicine research that's been done on these, these, these phytochemicals and plants and, and these compounds, but it's not out there because, you know, you have big pharmaceutical giants and westernized medicine that kind of pushes it down. But if we're looking at things like using turmeric for inflammation and for joint pain and for, um, you know, inflammation that happens around the menstrual cycle, and then also stacking it with magnesium and zinc, you can do so much with that kind of supplementation and looking at real food to boost it. That way the pharmaceutical reach for non-steroidals and these kinds of things kind of gets pushed to the wayside. I know it's like I, with my kid, with my kids, I mean, obviously they get to a certain age and then they start to, they come back around, but it's almost like it either has to come from the outside. Like if I had one, let's say a younger, one of my daughters, if you said, Oh, this is a, a something from the pharmacy, like the drugstore for your cycle, she'd believe me more than if I gave her like cucumin or something, exactly. you know, she'd be like, Oh, here we yeah, go. You know, it's that. just, it is. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me it's gluten-free. Don't tell me, you know? So I, I, I just, I think you can, I don't want to say you could just say, Oh, they make this to alleviate for your cycle. I don't think you have to get into it. And I don't think they need to learn everything. No, no, but it's so much better for you. Forget it. I think just like, you know, here, this works. A little try bit. this. With, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a stranger down the road gave it to me. Yeah. And it's perfect. Um, <laughs> intermittent fasting, you know, obviously there there there's a place for that, but I I want to just really revisit this because um, we mentioned it, but I I really want 
to sort of talk about how it doesn't really necessarily support women in the same way that it does men. And especially as women get older, it may not be as good. Now, if you're more sedentary, yep. let's say, you yeah. can use this as a way to, I don't want to say manipulate, but work around certain things. But maybe we could talk about for an active woman and a non-active woman, uh, maybe just really getting a sense of intermittent fasting, because it usually just gets glowing reviews. And, and I think we have to be careful with that. Yeah, I mean, we see all the the stuff that's blown out with how it improves focus, it improves blood sugar control, it increases parasympathetic drive. But again, that comes from male data. And then when we put it into the active woman who is exercising on a regular basis on purpose, the exercise data is way stronger for longevity, telomere length, cognitive abilities than intermittent fasting. We also know that calorie restriction is a better means of body composition manipulation for women. Again, it comes down to women do better in a fed state for exercise and stress. And then a lot of times when women are trying to do intermittent fasting and exercise, they end up exercising in their fasted window or they delay food after exercise, which keeps them in this breakdown state or this catabolic state, which the body perceives as low energy availability. When we look at the basic physiology, we know that in order for men to stay out of endocrine dysfunction, so low testosterone and other hormone imbalances, they need a minimum of 15 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass, but women need 40. So right there, when we start looking at the differences in the thresholds before we start having dysfunction, if we add an intermittent fasting, women will fall well below that threshold. You might have some success for the first couple of months, but after that, you start to have a lot of dysfunction and it drives sympathetic aspects up, you end up having poor sleep, you don't get the focus, you don't get the parasympathetic responses, and you have changes in blood lipids that are more of a negative scope. So your LDL goes up, your um, total cholesterol goes up, and you don't get um, blood glucose control. So when we start looking at the data that's coming out specific for women and specific for active women, trying to get women to understand that intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating is just not the way to go for longevity, health, and good fitness adaptations through the work that they're doing. Can you share, you have a nice little trick that you do where, let's say after you train and you're not very hungry, you extend your kind of recovery window by just maybe having a little sort of snack with protein that, that kind of buys you an extra window of time. Yeah. So like I said earlier, like women's baseline metabolism comes back so quickly, but if you have that 25 to 30 grams of protein post-exercise, it opens up that recovery window for about two hours. So it gives you that time to like put the body into the right anabolic state. Like let's rebuild this tissue. There's nutrition coming in, but I'm not hungry because it's been hot and I've been doing a hard workout. So let me get some of that protein in. And then after I fully cool down and have a bit more time, I can have a real meal and that food still goes into reparation adaptation. So it is a really good way of opening up that window and, and giving you a bit more leeway with, with the timing of your food. 
Another thing is, you know, there might be a lot of parents listening and their kids are busy from, you know, morning to night with school and practices and homework and or competing. And you you also suggest that actually maybe the the meal before competing is the dinner and that, OK, after you can, you know, sort of have a, a snack. And so it's really also getting planning around the schedule to support them. And it, listen, it's hard, especially with teenagers you don't control them as much. They never seem to want to eat breakfast. You know, it's like an ongoing. Um, yep. It's a fight. You know, conversation. Yeah. I'll call it, but it's not. It's like they just kind of want to eat, or you know, what have you. So it, I think it's just if if parents are looking for those kinds of tools, I think it's it's a way. So we talked about fueling. We talked about training. Maybe we can just you know, we all know sleep is important. Um, yeah. But just um, and I, I don't know if it's hormonal or if it's that we're prone to more sort of mind grind and, neg- and, you know, I think women are on more high alert. I, I guess the biological would be prone to negative emotion, which doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just means, you know, you're sort of paying attention to a lot of different details more naturally. Um, do you have things that you use to support just better sleep for you or even, you know, your daughter or people that come to see you for help? Yeah. So, I mean, the basic sleep hygiene of, of not eating two hours before bed, because we want to make sure that we get into that parasympathetic rest, digest type aspect. We want to be able to rest and not digest. So no food two hours before bed. If you're um, you're having issues sleeping because it's hot or you're perimenopausal with vasomotor symptoms, looking at something like cold tart cherry juice 30 minutes before bed. It's not sugar laced, so it doesn't impact the whole like rest digest. And that increases your natural melatonin production and drops your core temperature so that you can get into a good sleep. And it's the, you know, no screens, the blue light filter, all of those kinds of good hygiene, sleep hygiene. Uh, my daughter has a, a weighted um, stuffed animal it's a hip, hippopotamus, but she uses that and that helps her, you know, waylay some of the anxieties. So as an adult, you can get a weighted blanket or you can get a weighted hippo. <laughs> so all of those little things help. Um, but one of the big things for women is we have changes across the menstrual cycle in our sleep architecture because of the way hormones affect us. So we know that in the seven-ish days before our period starts, we have increase in progesterone, which drives our core temperature up. We have an increase in estrogen that interferes with melatonin. So it's really important to dump heat before you go to bed. It can be the tart cherry juice. You could be putting your hands and or feet into cold water because that dumps a lot of heat. And so your body can get into that lower sleeping temperature to be able to get below that oscillation of wake up point. And then the last thing that a lot of women fall into is they don't eat enough. So they become hypoglycemic when they're sleeping at night. And this is what causes a lot of disturbances and wake ups because they just don't have enough to keep them out of that hypoglycemic. And we know that casein before bed can definitely help alleviate a lot of that. Do you ever, do you, have you ever used or like messed around with the glucose monitor just to, to see how things impact you? I have been trialing the super sapiens and the continuous glucose monitor. Um, 
I'm not convinced yet at the data. It's really good when you're paying attention to yourself. That gives you really good information about yourself, but it's not so great as a comparison or making decisions on the fly of when you should eat because there's a transient time between what's actually happening in the blood versus what's happening in the interstitial fluid that it's being read from. So there's about a 15 minute lag time. So when people are like, oh, look at this, my blood sugar went way up about 30 minutes after I ate this, it could be 45 or it could be sooner because of that lag time. But if you're looking at it from a trends perspective and you're starting to read it as trends instead of absolutes, it gives really good information. We're doing a, a research study right now looking at menstrual cycle phase and ultra runners and how they have blood glucose control. And we make them run uh, three hours fasted <laughs> and not have anything. So we can get a really good mark of what's happening with fatty acids versus blood sugar. Then we give them a bolus of carbohydrate before they run another hour on the treadmill to see their responses. And we're finding that women do really, really well on a very small amount of carbohydrate when they're doing the low intensity work. So that comes into play. We don't know enough about fueling for women, but the, the measurement between blood glucose and the continuous glucose monitor, we're seeing this lag time. And so again, we have to look at the trends with the CGM rather than the absolutes. So it is a useful tool, just like a whistle and the clipboard are useful tools back in the day. So yeah, if people are really into biohacking and, and wanting to understand more about themselves, then it can be very useful. So we, we've talked about younger women and we've talked a little bit about older, different phases of, uh, of life. If there's a group in the middle and they're interested in they're sort of thinking they're doing a lot of the right things. They're getting to bed, they're hydrated, they're exercising. Is there anything extra that we can, I don't want to say load on them or remind them that will just help it. you mentioned in the early, especially in your early forties, making sure things are, are dialed in to take that through. But is there anything else that, that I missed that we could remind them to be paying attention to for the sort of the long the long haul, the long journey of aging and feeling good. Yeah. And again, this comes back down to the gut. There's been a couple of papers that have been circulating off JAMA talking about, you know, the obesity epidemic and how actually calorie intake has been decreasing. And so now they're saying there's been enough generational change that it comes down to gut microbiome and the way the gut microbiome has been affected by the food system. So when we're looking at women who are struggling to change body composition, even though they're doing all the right things, if we look at getting a genetic sequencing of the gut microbiome to understand what the diversity is and what are the phyla, they can make significant inroads and changes to their body composition by changing their gut microbiome. And I think that's another, you know, like far reaching biohacking, but it has a lot of robust science behind it. And it's so important because you see so many women that are constantly struggling, even though they're doing all the right things, right? Being, you know, very operative word there, but they're fitting in, they're doing stuff for their health. They're, you know, paying attention to what they're eating, but they still just can't change. And it comes down to what's happening with those little bugs in your deep gut. And 
there's definitely ways of sequencing it through some of the different private companies. I think you can get a, a doctor's referral and subscription to get it paid for through insurance in the States. But it's so important to understand that, especially as we're starting to see what science is coming out saying, you know, we've had this generational change and it's not about the calories and the physical activity. It's about how our food system and our choices have affected the diversity of our gut microbiome. Dr. Sims, so you you have a, a sort of courses that people can come online with you. Yep. And they have, I, I, this, is, this is separate from Next Level and from some of the prior books. I just want to bring this up. So if people want to go down and dive deeper into this and learn from you, correct me if I'm wrong, you sort of say, yeah, okay, I break this up into seven modules. You talk about, um, you, you know, I love this expression, w- women, we're, they're not small men. And, you know, just getting into like, hey, we're different. I don't know why everyone's afraid to talk about that. We're different. It's science. We're great. Okay. Then you get into menstrual cycle and hormones. The third is diet trends. You talk about training like a woman, having those conversations, whether it's with the people around you, coaches, you know, ways to biohack and manage your cycles of your period, dealing with, you know, the high and low hormonal days, PMS, things like that. And then the last part of the module is just sort of putting that all together. So I just want to tell people if they really want to dive deeper, you have a lot of opportunities for people to learn these things for themselves so they can take more control. Because I think a lot of times people, it is confusing. It's confusing to navigate. We're inherently lazy. We say we want to feel better or make the changes, but it's it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah. Um, and and that's and I, and that's how I'd like to wrap it up is with you because beyond like I said being you know someone who is diving into this data and and you know people are coming to for help you're you yourself are managing a lot as a as a person yeah and so I'm just curious you know when you eat something and you go this is not going to serve me right now but I really want it I'm I'm just curious like for you if you if you, if there's sort of room and forgiveness in there for yourself on, you know, cause I think people think, oh, once I know I'm supposed to do everything perfect. I don't think that, that this is what, that's what it's about. No, not at all. It's the empowerment and understanding, but nothing's perfect. Like you have the ideal and theory and you have reality. Like I, I try to go by the 80, 20 rule where 80% of the time you're on it and 20% is life fact. I unfortunately have the the predisposition to forget to eat when I'm highly stressed, have to be reminded. And then often that, you know, I'll find that I've gone the day and I've fueled for training like I'm supposed to because I want to feel good about that. But then I like exist on green tea or coffee for the rest of the day. I get a lot of those things and then I have to catch myself. So it is hard, even when you know. So I don't want people to like take the word for gospel and say, I have to do this all the time and feel bad if I don't get it done because you have life and you have reality. So it's it's having the knowledge and empowering yourself to make those choices, but also not to beat yourself up if you know, you're know you living life because that's what we do. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I just wanted to end with that because I, I just, my hope for people is that, you know, they, they are accountable. And if they don't, if something isn't working that they put the, you know, they put the energy into learning and you're a great person to learn from, but this, just that reminder that 
there is not a person out there, even when they've gotten certain parts of it figured out, that has anything really dialed. I think it's, it's you know, like you said, doing the right things more often um, and supporting ourselves. And, and then we get that feeling, right? Like once we feel a certain way, the other stuff then almost doesn't become worth it. Right. Last night, last night I, I took my youngest daughter, she, we went to eat and, um, she's like, Oh, can I get ice cream? I don't even really like ice cream, but I saw the words chocolate peanut butter together (laughs) in one line. Yeah. And I, and, you know, and, and in a way there is a lot of abstinence that goes on and, and, you know, I, I don't, and she's like, do you want an ice cream with me? And I was like, yes, I do. Nice. You know, nice. And yeah. And so, but, but, but that's the thing is I just want to say people are going to look at you. You're ripped. You're very brilliant. You know, a lot about this. They think I'm, you know, I have something like, oh, you were an athlete. It's like, it means nothing. It, it, you know, it's like, we're all doing the best we can. So, um, I'm just, I want to, I want to revisit with you in a few years when your daughter starts to try to eat all that weird food that teenagers eat and see how you're navigating that. She already tries. She does. She tries, <laughs> but she's learned do you, it. And do you let it? She's learned at an early age to listen to her tummy because they have this thing called Cake Day in New Zealand, where it's a fundraiser, and she ate yes. too mu- many cupcakes and felt really sick. And I always remind her, remember Cake Day? She's like, oh, I don't want to feel like that. So she learned at an early age. So she, yeah, she eats all the things and tries to get away with weird stuff, but then she's like, oh, I don't want to feel like that. So good learning. Early age, yeah. you're learning. I don't know if any of us learn except the hard way. Most of us need to know for ourselves. So I I think our children are no different. Mm -mm, Not at all. You can say everything, but until they experience it, it's not going to go anywhere. That's right. So the book is next level. And um, Dr. Stacey Sims, just remind people, and we'll have it in the show notes, your other books and and your website and, and things like that, but just where people can find you. On social, Dr. Stacey Sims on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then the website's still easy too. It's drstacysims.com. So all the stuff is on the website. And then we try to put out really good information on social to, to help women. Yeah. And are you having, are you having fun? I think so. Most days, most days. Yeah. I'm always working on the fun. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. That wraps it up for today. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to The Gabby Reese Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Gabby Reese on Instagram and Twitter. Aloha. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.